Hello and welcome to another episode of Empire's Spoiler Specials. This one focusing on the whole now of season one of House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones prequel set 200 odd years before Daenerys ever walks into a fire with a bunch of eggs. Uh, joining me to discuss the last few episodes of season one, I have uh, three colleagues uh, of uh, lethal cunning, but probably not lethal enough to survive for very long in Westeros. Please welcome, I've got Sophie Butcher. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Uh, we also have John Nugent. Uh, Valamogulis. <laughs> Valar de Harris. And James Dyer is also here, I guess. Hello, James. How are you? That's James Dyer, first of his name to you. Are you? I mean, nobody else in the family are James. Kind of seems like a default kind of a name, but okay. Uh, anyway, so how are we feeling about season one now? We've had a few days to digest it after that uh, that finale. What's, what's your overall take on this show? Has it managed to forge its own identity separate from the all-conquering Game of Thrones? Other than the title sequence, which I'm still annoyed about. I am too, right? I mean, they need their own... I mean, at least a remix. Something, Something. yeah. Like a, a dubstep remix of the Game of Thrones theme. That's all I asked, really. That's all we needed. Like, I, I, like the, I like the visuals of it. But again, the visuals, obviously, it's a retread of the, the sort of mechanics of the Game of Thrones title sequence, but doesn't serve the same purpose. Because also, it's really arcane. Like, I read up on what it means. It's all to do with the, the fall of, of old Valyria and how the various... How, and I was like, okay, sure, whatever. That makes no sense unless you read up on it. I thought it was the entire uh, Targaryen family tree. Yeah, but it's supposed to be where like where the blood flows and in what order is apparently relevant. So it's about about deaths and betrayals and something or other. I did read up on it. I said this is complicated and I have not read Fire and Blood deliberately. So oh, I, I don't want to know. Yes, I've avoided it studiously. I've had it for ages and I wanted to read it. And then the second they announced they were making this series, I decided I would not read it. Also, it's literally a history book and since I left school I don't want to do that anymore. It's it's not a, an unreadable it's it's very readable. It's very, very fun. It's more like Tom Holland history than, you know, school book history. Anyway, before we get too off topic, uh John, Sophie. I I um have complicated feelings about this show. I would say I thought overall it was maybe a mixed bag. I thought it opened really strongly, and I thought it ended really strongly. I thought the last two episodes actually swung me in a different direction to how I was feeling for a lot of the series. Uh, I think it's I think it's really impressive sort of television making in a lot of ways. Uh, I also feel it's and maybe we can get into this like simultaneously rushed and too slow uh if that makes sense it's it's like the the, the time would you like to formally apologize now for your three-star review i i would like to affirm my three-star review i stand by it wholeheartedly uh although i would say that episode nine and ten are absolute four-star uh bangers um yeah complicated feelings I agree with a lot of that, actually, but we'll we'll get have a chance to get into it. Sophie, where do you stand? I really enjoyed it. I am very sad that Monday is going to come along and I'm not going to have an episode to look forward to and watch as soon as I possibly can. Um, it was really appointment viewing for me. Um, as John says, I think the last two episodes are outstanding, but I've loved the whole half of the season since um, Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook came into it, the whole older cast. I think there are things that have jarred with me in terms of recasting, which I think a lot of people feel. Um, but 
jarred with me, but not so much that I didn't enjoy the episodes and I wasn't totally involved in the story. And yeah, I've really loved it. I cannot wait for season two. It has felt like a lot of setup, like it's like set up before the setup and it's constantly setting up new things. And even this, even this finale felt like still setting up for season two, but I just I like the world. I like the characters so much that I don't really mind. I'm just enjoying sort of going along for the ride, really. Fair enough. Um, personally, I'm I'm probably similar to a lot of you. I have actually ended up really enjoying it. I had real reservations when it began, and they have faded considerably during the series, which is which I think I think is a testament to the great performances, the generally quite good writing, um, and you know the money that's been poured into this. It looks beautiful pretty much always. Um, the, uh, much to my surprise as a Northern Irish person, Cornwall is actually pretty great and uh, is okay as a substitute for home. I am willing to uh, to concede that much. Um, so that's all been great. I, I do have niggles, which we will get into, um, involving particularly dragons, actually, over the last few episodes. Um, I still wonder if the Targaryens are as sympathetic a central group of characters as the Starks. Um, well, they're not. I think they're no, not. They're but it, not. it means that you it, you have to work a little bit harder to really to really get into people. Um, because you know, for a lot of this first season, a girl is pining over her uncle. You know, uh, even when she's married to her gay cousin, it's it's just not a super relatable situation. I hope for most of us. So uh, that kind of thing takes a little bit of getting past. It's certainly done wonders for the incest community. I mean, um... well, and I think it kind of speaks to the performances as well that you were like. I personally still found myself rooting for those two, even though it is so inherently weird, and sort of enjoying their dynamic together. So I don't know. Maybe that makes me weird, but I th- I think that's how you're meant to feel that like they sort of come together. But then even you know in the last episode, and you see Damon sort of turn on Rhaenyra a bit, and it feels surprising but it shouldn't really because you know he's a bad guy is he though see this is this is the thing and this is what i find quite interesting about the show that it's very hard to pin down anyone him in particular because when we start this series he's a dick and he's a dick for quite a while and then when you get to the birthing scene where he loses his wife and the sort of the mirror to the viserys scene from episode one you think oh actually he's not a straight up dick he's a complicated character and then he becomes Rhaenyra's most sort of staunch supporter and you actually start to root for him and then in that final episode when he starts choking her and you're like oh my god you're the worst so I I, I, I find that character very hard to get a grip on I, and my feelings about him are complicated I, I think I, I agree that he's he's slippery and I, I love that about him. I think it's great. And I think Matt Smith is a brilliant piece of casting to play him because he's mm. so good at both um, over-intelligent uh, good guys like the Doctor, obviously, but also really sinister fuckers. Um, I saw him on stage in American Psycho and he was brilliant. Um, so I, I think he's got that whole gamut to play with and he's playing with all of it and he's having the best time. Hmm. And I think you're right about all of that. There are moments where Damon seems absolutely irredeemable and others where he seems like a really good guy. I would point out even in the final episode when he's handed the crown, he thinks about it for a second before he gives it to Rhaenyra. It's not a simple it's not a simple relationship that he has with her and it's not a simple relationship that he has with the crown. You know, when he hands the Driftmark crown to his brother, again, there's a moment of hesitation. There's a moment of, do I push here? Do I stand up for myself? And I think that push and pull within him is really, really interesting and it is going to cause problems 
in their relationship. I think it's interesting that he didn't know about the prophecy. Um, it makes sense, but it, it's interesting. And I, I wonder if the prophecy is going to get lost and how soon, in how many generations. I think mm. it is. Well, we know um, it does, don't we? Well, we we do. I mean, we know it gets lost by Daenerys, but it could run for the five seasons of this show. Yeah, I suppose it could. It could also run till the Mad King dies. Yeah. So, so, uh, but I think it's going to get lost long before that. Is what I'm saying. Uh, and I think it's uh, it's interesting how they have changed the book. So I don't want to give you too many spoilers, James. You big non-reader. Yeah, but, no spoilers. Um, <laughs> but in the book, in several ways, he and Renee are, are significantly worse than they are on screen. Yeah. In the book, it is at least heavily implied that they kill Lenor. Mm. Uh, yes. Yeah, I so see. I knew that. So stuff that's already yeah. happened. I don't mind you spoiling stuff that's already happened in the no, show. I'm, just I'm not, not stuff gonna, that's I'm coming. not going to go I, and tell you who I dies I googled the spelling <laughs> of one of the characters, and the first thing that came up was the biggest spoiler. If you can imagine what the biggest spoiler for this show would be, that is what came up as the top Google result. <laughs> so I was fucking furious. Wow. What was the big spoiler? I can't. Uh, well, off, off mic. Off mic. Basically, I oh, know because ah, I'm ruining it for no. these guys. I can't. I no, can't, we're not going to. Can you tell us without spoiling it? No, no, because I, I. No, I can't. I can't. Okay. There's, there's no way to say. <laughs> You'll it, have to basically. message me later. Yeah, I have anyway. to tell you about it later. But I was absolutely furious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I mean, in that respect, they've made both Renera and Damon much more uh, likable. They've also made Aegon much worse. Mm. Aegon is an oh, that's irredeemable little shit in this show. And and mm. he's not super great in the book, I'm not going to lie, but neither is he quite, it's not quite so black and white at all, or black and green, if you prefer. So that Very was good. interesting to me. <laughs> but to go back yeah. to... They, they've taken sort of steps to... I, 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 like, I like that they've added complexity to it. So obviously I'm skipping ahead slightly, but uh, obviously a character dies in the finale, a major character dies, and the circumstances around that character's death have obviously been tweaked ever so slightly because it's not a straight up, I'm going to kill you, nephew it's a oh shit my dragon doesn't do what i say moment uh and i think that adds a very interesting wrinkle to this because now all fire and blood is going to be unleashed across the seven kingdoms but it, it was an accident yeah well i mean okay technically with my lawyer hat on i mean that's still mm. manslaughter do you know what i mean <laughs> like he puts himself in the position yeah. of uh he is reckless too he is endangering reckless endangerment yeah, yeah can i ask something about the dragons at the end please um so maybe I'm totally on a tangent with this, but you know when Damon, there's a shot of Damon like talking to a dragon. Vermithor. Mm-hmm. Vermithor. Oh, it's not the same dragon. It's dragon. not Vega. Yeah. I no. was like, has he sort of like, because you don't really see him actually talk, you just see a bit of a moment and I'm like, He's singing to has it. He, yeah. yeah. Has he sort of, has he affected how Vegar acts in that battle? And that's like why he kills Luke. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people thought that that was yeah. what was happening there. The point is, like, he has never had access to Vegar since Aemond took him over that we know of. That is Vermithor. And it links to his talk earlier in the episode of there are these wild or previously claimed <gasps> oh. dragons that are yeah. now living on the dragon mounts that we just need to get put new riders on. So Aemond, you know, is an example. You can get a new rider to match with a dragon who mm. has previously had a rider or more um, because they live long, a long time. So um, that's him, I think, trying to see what state the dragons are in. Because I think, and this hasn't been explored enough, but I think Damon is a real dragon geek. You know, you see him yeah. going caving, looking for eggs and stuff I th- and, and talking to the dragon keepers and so on. So I feel like he's a real dragon geek and he's investigating basically what state Vermithor is in. Is this going to be a useful weapon or not? Can he get someone on Vermithor? 
uh, who was, okay. as, as James says, Jaehaerys' dragon. Yeah, crucially, because that the Jaehaerys link is obviously important because it's a symbolic thing. That's Viserys' father, the former king. But also, Vermithor is the second biggest dragon of them all after Vagar. So obviously, quite a nice, powerful thing. Sea Smoke's also hanging around as well, which is Lainor's old dragon, because Lainor, cad that he is, fucked off and left his dragon in the lurch. That feels, I mean, that that to me was a bit of a shock because, you know, again, this is something, so this is my big bugbear or one of my big bugbears with the show. I really want them to explore the dragon links more. Like, what does this mean? What does it, you know, is it the same for everybody? Does it differ? If Lainor is just alive but gone, then can, you know, does that, is that like being dead in terms of, you know, someone else claiming his dragon? I really want it. And it doesn't have to be special effects, heavy shots with them all hanging out with the dragons in the dragon pit, but even talking about it among themselves, I think would have been helpful to me in kind of understanding this because we have to feel for the dragons if we're going into a war where a bunch of dragons are going to die. And I don't think that's a spoiler because we're going into a civil war between people who ride dragons. We've already seen one dragon fight resulting in a dragon death. It's a fair assumption to think that there's going to be more of that sort of thing. And and the, the death of the dragons should hit hard as well as the death of the humans. Maybe not as hard, but it should hit. And I don't think they've quite done that yet. But you and I, I think, have got our Temeraire slash Anne McCaffrey hats on where it feels like they're bonded on some level. Whereas I'm wondering actually if they're a bit like horses in this. Like it, it, it doesn't seem to have the same connection. That is not true, though, because they do seem to respond to their rider, if you will's wishes and that's always been the case with um with Daenerys and we've seen it a couple of times with other people where the dragon turns up at exactly the right moment now you can't, either that's bad storytelling and you know overly convenient you know sympathetic fallacy or there is some kind of bond on an emotional if not conscious level there's some kind of bond there conscious yes so I, I don't know, I, as an, I, like you say, 100%, I am a dragon geek. I read the Temerara books. I've read the Anne McCaffrey books. Um, I, I am a huge, huge, huge fan of Toothless in How to Train Your Dragon, which apparently was a was uh, an influence on that final dragon flight, which I, I love and I adore. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there has to be some more, there has to be some more to explore there because we've only ever had one dragon sort of owner before. And and now we've got all of these different relationships and there's got to be something that they can do with that. Yeah, and it's obviously the dragons are becoming more important because, um, as you say, in the war that's coming and Damon's listing them, like we've got so many more on our side, it makes us stronger. And I think if they had explored that a bit more, I would have known what he was doing. How did you guys know which dragon that was? Do you just know the dragon's faces? Am I weird for not knowing, like, recognising dragons? Well, you're saying all face? dragons look the same, Sophie. I'm disgusted with you. <laughs> they don't look the same, but, like, that one looks like Vagar, didn't he? I don't know. They do look quite similar, yeah. They so, do look quite similar. yeah, maybe that would have just helped clarify that a little bit, because it doesn't really say he's, like, off doing something else, but... She doesn't we, say what. Well, yeah. yeah, so yeah, that bit was bit found a little bit confusing, but that helps to clarify. Well, it was Thank very far from clear. Also, like it seems weird because it almost seems like Damon's flirting with Vermithor, and he already has a dragon, but then he is a cad, so maybe maybe he is. I mean, what was interesting uh, about that final uh, sort of airborne fight, which, by the way, was spectacular. I mean, that was maybe my favourite moment in the whole series. Just how sort of that the shot where you see this just giant shadowy f- dragon figure over 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 overhead and also you get a sense of the scale like i really recommend i think there's a video on youtube somewhere of somebody doing size comparisons of all the dragons at this time and the, 
the difference is vast. It's insane how much bigger some of these dragons are. Um, but that that whole sequence was just so well shot, and it felt like you know Westerosi Top Gun. Um, it was just really, really exciting. <laughs> I, th- I think that was, I mean, that was probably an action high point of the series for me, um, along with, I guess, maybe the Stepstones. But what about you guys in terms of the sort of the action bits of the show? Weirdly, the least, I, I enjoy the action, I enjoy a bit of violence as much as the next person. My favourite scene was the dinner party, to be honest. I, I, I Like the character bits of this show resonated with me much more than the action did. I think for, for pure spectacle, I think the final episode had it. I think that was that was incredible because it's something we haven't seen before and I think that's important. But, but just watching those characters sort of banter and interact and seeing the sort of moves within moves and the politics of it, that I thought was just the, the joy of the show. Well, yes, I was coming to that next after I talked about the action, but but I mean that that dinner scene I think was also very emotional in a way that I, I would say Game of Thrones rarely reached. Viserys's sort of naked plea to his family to get along in that scene was was not something we've seen a lot in this show. You know that kind of that kind of just emotion, purely emotional work. I thought was really extraordinary. Paddy was incredible. I, I think that really speaks to Paddy Constantine's performance, really. Uh, I, I thought um, he's probably, for me, the standout of, of the series. He gives such a lovely, uh, fascinating, really evolved performance across these episodes. I mean, you know, <laughs> not just physically evolved, because, my God, he has aged terribly by the last time we see him. But, um, you know, I, I just think he, he there's there's more dimensions to his character, perhaps, than, than others. That I felt like a lot of these characters were, could feel quite one note. They're essentially just different shades of scheming and vying for power. Whereas Constantine, there feels like there's some really there's some real internal conflict in Viserys, which I thought was uh, played really well. That feels a bit harsh, I think, to some of the other characters. I think there's actually quite a lot going on with a lot of them, whether it be sort of Rhaenyra, who's got very complicated feelings about whether or not she wants to be heir, you know, existing within the patriarchy, trying to dismantle it and failing it. And even like the High Towers, like, I, I really like the fact that Alison is, she's someone who is quite an innocent girl who's railroaded by her manipulative father into a quite unfortunate political situation, makes the best of it, kind of grows into it, is alienated from her only friend. And again, it's like, it's not quite as straightforward. It's like, Cersei and Cersei is actually quite a complex character in her, in her own right, but she is scheming as fuck. And I don't think any of the characters in here are really that. Even Otto, like you have to think about from their point of view, because if Rhaenyra ascends the throne, they're very exposed and potentially dead. So it's not just advancement for advancement's sake. Part of it is survival. Uh, and then when you bring in, you know, House Valerian and the complexities of that and bloodlines versus reputation, history versus genetics, I think there's 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 an awful lot going on beneath the surface for stars. Thank you, John. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would agree with James, much as it pains me. But I think I think there is a lot. I think what's really interesting about this, in contrast to Game of Thrones, is that you have one superpower among the houses, right? The the you know the um, the Valar- the Targaryens are a superpower, and yes, the Valerians also have dragons, but they are very much the sort of junior branch of the family. They have much fewer dragons, and um, and they are closely closely allied with the Targaryens. So. Everybody else is fighting for scraps. Everybody else is only fighting for a tiny piece of that pie, and it's n- and it's nowhere near the level of sort of equality that you had in Game of Thrones between the houses, where it was maybe a difference of money or a difference of number of men, but there were there was much much closer kind of stakes. It feels like to me. 
Yeah, and like broader, like it was kind of anyone's for the taking, any of the houses in Westeros, if they had the power and the, you know, the guts to sort of make their moves or whatever. But I really like how, even though it's more focused on the Targaryens, like they're still breaking down like all these different characters and like avenues to the crown and all these different ways of getting there. And it still feels like just as like anything could happen as it did in Game of Thrones with all these different houses, but it's actually just all these different members of one family. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and and all of the different members who are intermarried and remarried and intermingled um, and everything else. Um, I, I, I've been trying to figure out all the family relationships and mostly failing. Um, we, we've talked a little bit about Rhaenyra and Damon, and I think we probably will talk more about them, but I'd like to talk a little bit about Rhaenys, who really had a good couple of episodes there towards the end of the season. And Eve Best really got to kind of strut her stuff as this very complicated character. If you saw her her look when um, when Damon just arrogantly listed her dragon among his assets... She's just like, I'm sorry, what now? Uh, which was, it's just, just a brilliant, brilliant little moment if you go back and watch that final episode. Um, but what did you think about, uh, you know, the, the Valerians and in particular Renice? I thought they were great. It was great to see her get a bit of action to do and a bit of power. Obviously, she's the queen that never was. Um, and it's interesting how Alison made the move to lock her in her room when she was making her moves with Aegon and all that sort of stuff and sort of take her off the board. Um, I felt kind of worried for her when she was getting pushed around King's Landing in that sequence. I thought like she's like this princess and she's going to get like hoarded into the masses and end up dead somehow. <laughs> I was like quite worried for her. But it was really cool to see her um, sort of have the power in that situation. Um, and interesting, I think everyone was kind of like, is she going to say Dracarys is she gonna you know set fire to them all but I really liked how in that next episode when Damon asked why she didn't do that she said it wasn't her war to start I think that was really like perfect and fitting for the character and yeah it was good to see um it was good to see um Corlys back as well I thought it was really interesting how they played that and how he decided to sort of support Rhaenyra but I really liked those two being back together especially in that last episode they're good. I, li- I like the Valerians a lot, and I like her in particular. Like She has a real edge to her in every conversation she has with every character, and she's quite inscrutable. Like You didn't, I mean, obviously tell her because you read the books, but I didn't know where she was going to fall towards the end because it's it's complicated. And and it's especially complicated because she literally thinks Rhaenyra killed her son. And you think, if I were Rhaenyra, I'd take her aside and say, look, I mean, don't, don't call me a twat, but he's living it up in the free cities. Just chill out. You know, you'd almost want to give her that because otherwise, I don't know how this alliance holds together. But that moment when the sea snake does his uh, his Leto Atreides moment, you know, the uh, <laughs> we are Valerian, there is no call we do not answer, no oath that we betray. It's like, yes, good man. Um, it's, it's interesting and how, what you know what oaths mean to different houses because it's interesting to see when they treat with the Baratheons and he does not give the first fuck like it's very much like what's in this for me he goes full fray on them um although that and that I thought that was great because that's the first time we've ever seen Storm's End from the outside in that particular shot we've never seen that before so that's uh sorry a bit of Thrones nerdery for you and it so did I'm, look I'm digressing it, yeah, it was stormy. stormy it lived yeah. up to its name yeah the, the only the only note I had there was I kind of almost wanted more forests around it because of all their hunting and stuff i don't know <laughs> this is the most like nitpicky thing but i just felt like there'd be more forests <laughs> anyway um but yeah he he was a dick i mean yes he was a dick although he didn't let him cut out luke's eye so i guess there's that 
I, I, I mean, he said not in his house. Yeah, do it outside. Take it outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I will say Amon is, is fast becoming my favourite character just because his performance. Is. No, not, not, I don't sympathise with Amon, although I do a bit. But like he was a dick when he was a kid and he lost his eye for being a dick. Yes, you nicked a dragon. There was no need to gloat about it. But uh, so, you know, whatever. Also, that what is it? Is it? He's got a sapphire eye now. That's just very gaudy. That's just was utterly unnecessary. I mean, he was but, a dick as a kid and has only doubled down yes, as he's, he got no, but I, but I worth think saying even that. he is quite interesting. Like when uh, when Aegon when they're when they're searching for Aegon to crown him, and he's very much like Aegon is a, and he's just like he's, he's just he has no time for him whatsoever, and he's just like I'm the second son, but I'm you know I'm the one who works hard, I'm the more accomplished warrior, I'm the responsible one, and yet my wastrel rapist brother is the one who's going to be king. Uh, and this is and although and this is the thing that did throw me in. I'm sure we'll get onto the age-related thing, but the casting of Aemon versus Aegon, I can't make work in my head because Aegon looks like 10 years older than... No, Aemon looks 10 years older than Aegon. And it's just... Yeah, I would he like isn't. to sit down with the casting director and have a really he long isn't. conversation with him. I know he's not. like he's um, What's his chops from um, The Last Kingdom? But mm. uh, but it just he looks... Yeah, I, I I have questions about a lot of the casting choices. I'm not choices. sure he looks older though. I think he just looks like more powerful. Like when you and I've, I really like the arc between those two because when they were kids, um, you know, Aegon Aegon was like he was he was much bigger. He was like throwing his weight around. He was being a real prick to everyone, including him. And and he once he got that dragon and decided to like take that power for himself, like the dynamic just began to shift. And it feels like. To look at them, you would think he was the older brother. You would think he was first in line, but he's not. But I don't think it's necessarily that he looks older. I think he's just like gained that it's more kind of, a, of like it's more status of a, and that like yeah, that confidence. And yeah, and it makes Egon seem all the more unlikely to be fit to be the king. I think. Do you see the parallels between Amond and Damon? Yes. I mean, it's, you thing. know, a much more fit person to rule. Frankly, a much better dragon rider is the younger brother. Um. And and there is that moment between Amond and Damon, if you notice in some of the family meetings, where there's a bit of squaring off. There's a sense of Rhodey looking at the Iron Man armor and going, "Not yet, not yet." <laughs> no spoilers, well, you, but genuinely, it's there. But just on the age thing, like, did any of you find it off-putting? Because I, I was having a conversation with someone on the weekend who was saying that they liked the show, but actually they couldn't get past the recasting of some characters, not other characters, and the inconsistency with the ageing way. Viserys ages about 100 years in a yeah. few episodes, <laughs> and other people just get a haircut. Well, I mean, look, Viserys is sick. He's very, very ill. So that kind of, I think, covers a lot of what's happening to him. I do feel like they made a little bit of a mistake, particularly with much as I love her, and I think it's nothing against her performance, but Olivia Cook looks the same age as her 20-year-old son. And in fact, in real life, is two years older than her 20-year-old. He's 26, she's 28. And given that we not we didn't just have that 10-year gap, we then also had at least another six or seven years on top of that. So those characters, um, Rhaenyra and Alison, should be about 35, 36 at this point. And instead, you know, she looks 28. Um, and, and that is a little bit distracting. So I don't think we're going to have any time dumps that are quite as long next season. I don't think from my reading of the book, but it, you do have somebody who looks the same age as her son. I'm just saying. 
Yeah, I think that for me is the thing that trips me up. It's not between the siblings. It's um, it's Rhaenyra and Alison and their kids looking too similar. But I try, I try and make it make sense in my head because I think that they were very young when there was, like Millie Alcock and Emily Carey were playing down. Like they were meant to be younger, say like fourteen. I don't know, fifteen when they got married. That's how I try and like play it in my head that they were very young when they had these kids. But it is jarring. But I think. It's kind of you wonder how else they could have done it because if they'd, if they'd had three different cast members for Rhaenyra and Alison as well, that would have just been like too much because they need to be sort of the anchor of the series, don't they? Really, I think if they'd changed as many times as their kids did, it would have been even more confusing. <laughs> but then, is is there an argument to have like spread it out? Like I remember in the last spoiler special we did, I was saying like there's stuff in between that I think I really wanted to see, like how how does Rhaenyra and um, Strong, I've forgotten his first name, you know, if if he's Harwin. the father of her kids, Harwin, you know, we don't see any of that connection, any of that relationship and their lineage is so important, like we've missed out on that. Is there an argument for like having stretched out those earlier years and even the years when the kids were younger? Um, I mean, you know, it would have added more series. It feels, because I don't know what's to come I feel like we're near the end of something, but maybe we're at the beginning of something and they had to like fast forward through that quickly, but then it feels like it is at the expense of some other things, which includes like the casting and how jarring that is, I think. Yeah, they had a very clear, I think, four season structure for this that they and they clearly have ground they want to cover in a very specific way. But yeah, I'm with you. I'd have kept Millie Orcock around for a season or two and just reveled in that time period because it's great and they were fantastic. But I guess I you don't know, know. They, they have their plans. I I actually really loved um, the the recasting in episode five, just because I think Olivia Cook and Emma Darcy are such brilliant actors, and I think they bring such a different energy to those characters. And you know, there's a very good storytelling reason for bringing a different energy to those characters. You know, in in the first few episodes, they're very naive and they're still sort of navigating this world, and you know, when we jump those 10 years, they we're, we're meeting them at a very different point in their lives where they're sort of a little world weary and they're, they're fearful of their status and the status of their children. And so, you know, having these new actors who have a bit of years behind them, I think that really makes a lot of sense. That said, I think a lot of the recasting in this show was a complete mess and I really struggled to keep up. Really, in just all of the different children, I, you know, multiple children from multiple parents, a problem compounded by, you know, having, I think, three sets of actors playing the children. I, I, I was struggling to keep up and I would think for casual viewers, uh, I think it would be really tricky. I just think it, just a basic, like, um, you know, storytelling uh, like just just straightforward storytelling it just doesn't work i don't think you need to uh, yeah if if it felt really messy yeah there are a couple of problems too with you know very similar names renira and renice for example uh, the fact that you know in that scene where um viserys is dying and he's talking to alicent they're talking about three different Aegons in that scene. Do you know this? So basically, um, he's talking about Aegon who made the prophecy. That's Aegon the Conqueror. The prophecy is about a Prince Aegon who is Jon Snow. That's his birth name. And she thinks they're talking about, he's talking about her son, Aegon. Um, you know, I'm just saying if they had different names in the family a bit more, these kind of <laughs> confusions might not happen and civil war might have been avoided. Yeah, that it is all down to just nomenclature is generally hilarious. 
but uh, I, I, but you're not wrong. Like I, I do think for a lot of because the thing with Game of Thrones, what worked with Game of Thrones, it crossed over, and I think it was because the universal themes of you know incest and White Walkers was just good for everyone. But but do you know it was colourful characters, different locations, there was a lot of texture and variety to it, and it was quite easy to follow by and large. This is not as easy to follow. That there's so much in here like that. Like I defy anyone who is not versed in this stuff to have understood what the fuck was going on with that final conversation, which led to the civil war the 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 aegon 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 conversation like no one is no one has a clue what that is unless they go on to google afterwards and find out what it is like they just don't and little things like you don't need to know that that page that she's given in the final episodes is the page they ripped out of the book in episode one like if you don't remember that it's not the end of the world but if you can't remember the aegons if you don't know that and if you don't remember that john snow's birth name is aegon you do kind of have a problem there um so i think that's tricky like i love that shit but equally it, i'm wonder if it does harm the show's ability to kind of get out there and sort of cross over cross over a bit i mean you you might be right i think this isn't quite as accessible so far as game of thrones but then again maybe that's because they are setting up and i again i hope this isn't a spoiler i don't think it is they are setting up a civil war they are setting up a dance of the dragons it is basically foreshadowed in that opening sort of quote about you know the only thing that can bring down the house of targaryen is itself um a house divided against itself cannot stand and hey you guys it seems to have become divided against itself over this season. Yeah, and I, to, to, to compare it to Game of Thrones, just to go back to this idea of are the Targaryens as relatable as the Starks, you know, I think this is essentially a show about aristocrats fighting with themselves, whereas Game of Thrones, I th- and we, we, we may have talked about this on a previous podcast, but Game of Thrones had a real, like, you know, macro sense of the world and was able to, like, bring in, you know, different levels of class and status you know, even the Starks, who are essentially a noble house, but they they are a noble house. They're gruff like, northerners, aren't they? And they're, they're they're hardened by the winter, and they they feel a bit more like down to earth. Um, and all you get in this show really uh, are just different shades of of quite posh Westerosi people. You know, I think we only see actual common people for the first time in episodes eight or nine, maybe episode nine when the when Aegon is crowned and even then they get you know <laughs> burnt up by dragons um so yeah, yeah. True. so what you're saying is you want to be with the common people you want to yeah. do whatever common it's a bit people too dragonton abbey for john <laughs> <laughs> but also is- like sometimes it's hard because they talk about the realm and wars happening and leading but you don't really get a tangible sense of what any of that is it feels like success succession in a way where they're always talking about running the company and whatever they do but they never actually seem to do any work or see (laughs) anything like actually tangible happen it's all just about like having a title at the top do you know what i mean and like nothing ever seems to really come it it feels a little bit like that because they're just fighting for the crown but you wonder what the crown actually is in a way because you're not seeing like different levels of what's happening i think that might change going forward i mean no spoilers again but I feel like the major time jumps are behind us. And I think that's one of the reasons it's been quite hard to focus on anybody outside the family, because why would you be focusing on this, you know, this Smith or this groom and then disappearing for 10 years and then coming back to them? You know, that that adds an extra level, level of complexity that you maybe don't need yet. But I think hopefully now with the time more settled, I think that might give you some more room to actually introduce a, a, a wider array of characters and also because you have your your core cast now 
stabilised and introduced and established. I don't know if they're going to have to recast some of the kids a little bit again as time goes on a bit more. Um, but it it feels like you know th- there's maybe some room for that to change in future. I hope because I also you know don't just want this to be Downton Abbey. Yeah, I think Luceris will get recast. I think no, Gis- won't. Gisaris. You don't think? Oh, <laughs> what am I talking about? No, please won't. <laughs> I'm getting the <laughs> brothers confused. Yeah, <laughs> Gisaris will probably get recast, probably. But I think the two, like Aegon and Aemond, will you know? Well, I suppose Luceris yeah. will get recast, but as like you know, kibble. Oh. Too soon. Too, Too soon. soon. He's Too soon. Gone. Well, okay. Well, to lighten the mood, can I just can I just reference my favourite thing in this? The people accuse George R. R. Martin of not having a sense of humour, and I will refer you to the end of this. Now, bear in mind that Luceris goes off to treat with the Baratheons. His older brother Gisaris goes off to treat with the Starks. Damon, however, has another job, which is to go and to meet with Lord Grover Tully. And Helen's nodding because she already knows this, but Lord Grover is, of course. Magnificent, magnificent, because uh, Lord Gr- Lord Grover's relatives include uh, Kermit <laughs> and uh, Oscar as well, and Kermit is described as green as summer grass, and Oscar is discovered uh, basically described as a grouch, essentially. So I love the fact that there are Muppet <laughs> gags in Fire and Blood. It's one hundred percent true. It is one hundred percent true. Yeah. I want to see yeah. genuine puppets in season two, like just behind a little like iron, yeah. <laughs> little like iron and throne. And also, also Elmo, I think tweeted about it, or was it Grover? One of the one of the Muppets actually tweeted about it when the episode aired because uh, yeah. they're in on the joke. But it's very funny. Yeah, it very is. Funny. It is. I, 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 it is a, it is a funny show at times, especially Damon. I think he gets all the best lines. Um, you know, from calling uh, Lord Otto a c- onwards. Yes, you that's know, a great he tends line. To, he tends to just grab all the, all the best moments that way. Yeah. Oh, yes, and their father's... Yeah, so it's their father's Sir Elmo as well. So we've got Elmo, Grover, Kermit, and Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Snuffleupagus has yet to appear, but it could I happen. I think that might take me out of the series when we get to that bit. Sir Elmo Tully. Well, now it will because he's told you. If he hadn't yeah, told you, you might not I might have noticed. just... Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Lord Swedish <laughs> chef. Um, how about the sort of... <laughs> just just quickly, how about you, you know, supporting characters in Lawrence? Are you are you buying Sir Laris Strong as an evil mastermind and foot fetishist? Um, yeah, oh, are you the enjoying... foot scene was grim, <laughs> wasn't it? Die. Oh, that was that vom- felt a bit vomcity. much, you know. I don't know about that. That was like, oh, what? really? Yeah, what's really my that? thing with that is when Cersei used to use her sexuality, she very knowingly weaponized it. Whereas you got the impression here that Alicent was a very unwilling participant in that. And it's yeah. like, and I don't understand the power dynamic there. I know that he was obviously responsible for, you know, helping her in a number of ways. But you think, really? Does she need to resort to that? She's I don't know queen. that she does. She's the queen, mm. right? But there, there is also that element of fear that she showed when he killed his family. Yeah. Uh, in ruthless. Pr- and, and said he basically did it, you know, in, in pursuit of her aims. But uh, how and- did they get to that point where where she's like, oh, yes, by the way, we're going to get to this point of a relationship where I will take my socks off so you can have a wank. Like, what, how does that come up in I conversation? Know. I do wonder how that would, how that arose. I, 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 you know, that's one of the things I think we lost with the time jump. Is, <laughs> yeah. is him going, I'll help you more, but in return, <laughs> I want to see your footsies. It's just, it's not right. In fact, And it's it just wrong. kind of like... I'd- I felt very uncomfortable watching it, but it it does sort of add to the idea that Alicent's really sort of tumbled down this rabbit hole of like she's got Kristen Cole like in her corner, she's got Laris going on, she's trying to like balance all these things and sort of control what's happening with her kids and what's happening with Rhaenyra. It feels like she's bitten off more than she can chew, and she's like 
in the midst of it. She's got her dad going on at one side and then sort of turning against her a little bit. Um, she feels a bit out of her depth, um, I think. <laughs> can we, can we talk about Sir Krishna a minute? So, so Alison and Sir Krishna fucking, right? Like, that seems fairly That's straightforward. That's never been made clear, has it? Never been clear. It isn't if, clear in the book either. Yeah, it feels like they're fucking. But equally, he's a bit of a dick because he was he mm. mashed in Joffrey's face, was about to kill himself, so in love was he with Rhaenyra. And now he's like, he, he's, you know, I mean, I appreciate we'd lost, what, five years between that and then the following episode. But, you know, he's gone, gone full 180. In in the book, in fairness, is similarly abrupt. Like he he does go from I think it's not quite self loathing in the book, but he does turn. He goes from being inseparable with Rhaenyra to absolutely loathing her, um, and that being his driving force throughout his life. So I think that that does ring true. He he is a total shithead at this point. Like he is an <laughs> irredeemable dick. Um, so it's it's interesting to see him be so loyal to Alicent, um, and hopefully for her sake he won't have another switch. Um, but uh, yeah, he's he's. I guess he has more to prove than most. You know, most of the rest are nobility, and and it has been mentioned a few times. This guy is not. This guy is the son of a steward. He has more to prove than everyone else, perhaps. Um, any other any other supporting characters uh, stand out to you quickly, John? Today? Well, c- can we can we pull one out for uh, Lord Beesbury? Uh- Played Aww. by by Paul Bill Patterson, who I think had one of the more gruesome deaths uh, of, of this season, and then they, they, he's just lying there dead, and they just carry on the meeting and let, let's just pretend he's not there, just ignore him. It's just like an Empire editorial meeting, really. Yeah, isn't it? It so. yeah someone dies, we don't stop the meeting, we just carry on, and then they drag the body away at the end. Is perfectly reasonable. Um, yeah, but that sense that that meeting was actually quite fun because you got the sense of um, some people at least had been planning for this. And Alison's sitting there grief stricken and going, what the hell is happening? <laughs> Where is all this coming from? I thought that was uh, that was rather well played. But it did make her less of a conspirator, I think, than she seemed to be in the book. Uh, her dad 100% planned to usurp it from the get-go, but she is, as always, trying to do the right thing, just fucking it up. So um, we're running out of time, but predictions for next season, what do you guys think is happening? And I'm not going to contribute because I've read the book. Fire and blood. Yeah, I would. I think I want to see it just be kind of all out war because, it, like I said before, this feels like it's been all set up, and it feels like it's going to be kind of all payoff. You know, like just seeing them actually go head to head. I'm intrigued. I, what I really liked the most about the last episode was seeing what kind of queen Rhaenyra was going to be, and that she was like thoughtful and not hot-headed like Damon. She didn't rush in, and so seeing like how she's actually going to deal with what's happened to Luke and um, all that sort of thing, I think is going to be really interesting. The the last episode, you you do get a little sense of Rhaenyra. I mean, she's she's talking about, um, she's she's talked of as, as being the only one in the room who has restraint, you know. So she, she, she seems to be a sort of canny uh, political player. And yet at the same time, we see, you know, I mean, she loses two of her children in this final episode. Uh, one in again one of the most bloody birth scenes uh in a series that i think has had three um and then obviously uh in the in the final moments in the in the dragon fight and yeah that final shot uh is pure it's pure daenerys isn't it it's pure like i will burn them all to the ground um and i think that feels like a real statement of intent for season 2 is that uh, maybe the gloves are off um and yeah i'm 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 here for that 
here for that. I think I think um I think you're probably right. I think what's interesting though is something that you talked about, Sophie, which is that Renera has restraint, she is holding back. And whether or not that will be an advantage in the battles to come remains mm. to be seen. Um as we saw, you know, Renice holding back uh at the coronation of Aegon perhaps was a mistake given that the entire thing could have ended right there. Really, yeah. So it's it's good, you know. It's it's going to be an interesting um, and very upsetting, I would say, conflict to come between these essentially two branches of the same family, very very closely related people. But are you excited for it overall? I mean, three star John, are you looking forward to season two? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I am. I am. Like I say, I, I thought it opened really well and ended really well. Season one uh, and the last two episodes in particular. Uh, it felt very impactful and consequential and, and really compelling. And, you know, if we get more of that in season two, then, then yeah, I'm here for it. But I love, I love this world. I love, uh, you know, what George R. R. Martin has created. Um, I haven't read the books and so I'm, I'm fascinated to see where it goes. Uh, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in it for the long haul. Um, I just don't want another, uh, you know, sort of, hour-long meeting about oh who's who should succeed next where and there's just lots of you know serious stares and arguments and you know i want to see some something actually happen this time see i quite like all the kind of portentous scheming and arguing and you know all the bit like <laughs> just the bit when my favorite moment i think in the whole series was when Eamon stands up at the dinner party and toasts his strong oh, nephew so like, like it's like oh what passive aggression at the max like it was, <laughs> when, it was fantastic and something i didn't realize about that but they give him the pig right that's yes a that's what to... yeah exactly that because that's what sets it all off that, that, that and it's their own fucking fault because they start tittering when they see the pig in front of him yeah and it's, that's quite interesting because you actually your sympathies are with him because they bullied him relentlessly when he was a kid and now he's just like fuck you well your <laughs> sympathies are with him anyway yeah of course yeah um, <laughs> but it's why his arc's so good like i think yeah. he's a really great character yeah i think so and i think they've improved his arc in this actually well i think you, i think you're all going to get what you want uh next season because there is going to be endless talking and politicking because as we've seen both sides are still desperately trying to shore up support and and hoover up allies from all the available lords but also as we've seen both sides have fucking dragons and are yes, going to go fight with each other. So everything to play for. We may for get to see fucking dragons two. or dragons fucking. You know, whatever happens, it's, whatever we're going to up the ante with in season two. <laughs> Again, I'm not clear on dragon reproduction, but feel free not to tell me. Um, <laughs> right, dragon so incest. I'm afraid that dragon is incest. all the time we have. Yes, oh, dragon no. incest. Oh god, <laughs> you know there might be as well. Um, that is all the time we have. So we have to say goodbye to a John of Ice and Fire, John Nugent. A Valamogulis. <laughs> it's goodbye to Sophie, first of her name. Goodbye. That's Helen being very kind because I couldn't think of a funny House of the Dragon related name. <laughs> it's goodbye to Jamon Targaryen. Yes, winter is coming. I mean, winter is literally coming because it's autumn. Indeed. <laughs> and it is goodbye from me, the Rhaenyra in Spain era. It's very good. I didn't Excellent. have any inspiration Fourth, this morning. Mainly Excellent. on the plain era? It should have been the Rhaenyra of Castromere, shouldn't it? And I realised that after I put yes. it in. Oh, well. Very good. Here we go. Anyway, thanks very much for joining us and do come back for more spoiler specials uh, on our subscriber channel all the time. Thank you again for subscribing and we'll see you soon. Valar Morghulis. Valar Dojeres. Valar Morghulis.